Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Congo's elections on Sunday were set to herald the country's first transition of power by the ballot box, with President Joseph Kabila stepping down after 17 years in office. But an explosion of violence has caused the polls to be postponed. All Orion discusses what happened and why it matters with the FT's Africa editor, David Pilling. David, how much violence has there been in the run-up to the polls and who's behind it? Well, in the immediate run-up to this election, there's been a gradual build-up of violence. A number of opposition rallies have been broken up by security forces. There have been people shot dead and numbers are quite hard to come by. There was a rally that was supposed to have taken place earlier this week in Kinshasa by the opposition leading candidate Martin Fayulu, which was broken up by tear gas and, in fact, never took place. But one has to go even further back because this election has really been rumbling on for years. It was meant to have taken place in 2016. And if you count the election violence, uh, the protests against the election not taking place and the authorities' reaction to that, then there have been dozens, indeed hundreds of deaths that this election has already been responsible for. As to who takes blame for this violence, a lot of it is security forces of the administration of the state which has really not permitted opposition rallies, which has overreacted to demonstrations, people being very frustrated at the slow pace of these elections and now, of course, the further postponing of the poll from Sunday. Of course, that postponement is not only because of this violence. There's also an Ebola outbreak in the east of the country. There's voting machines which went up in flames, allegedly anyway, And the Electoral Commission has used this as, some would say, an excuse or a pretext to push the elections out a further week until December the 30th. Who are the main candidates and what are their prospects? There are really three candidates. First of all, you have a man called Emmanuel Shadari, who is running really as the proxy of Joseph Kabila, the man who's been in power for 17 years. His prospects, most observers of Congo think that he will win by hook or by crook because the regime that's been in power wants him to win and Kabila has shown no sign of really wanting to relinquish power and that this is his chance to hold on to power by using what the Congolese are calling a dauphin. The opposition had briefly united under one candidate, Martin Fayulu, who's an oil executive who has the backing of two other politicians who would have run for the presidency, but for one reason or another were either not allowed into the country or not allowed to run. They were struck down by a constitutional court. So in a sense, he's also a proxy for them. Unfortunately for the opposition, the opposition split just a couple of days after agreeing to put up a united candidate. And there's another candidate called Felix Chisikedi, who represents, in a sense, his father, who for years and years and years was the official opposition who ran against not only Kabila, but Joseph Kabila's father, Laurent Kabila, and before him, even against Mobutu Sissoko. He died before this election was able to take place. And so now Felix, who has really the name recognition, is also running. Can you tell us a little bit more about Mr Shadari then? What kind of a person is he? Well, he's not very well known in the country. He was the interior minister and he was the interior minister at a period of some volatility when there were demonstrations in the streets of Kinshasa in December 2016. That was the first time that Joseph Kabila had effectively refused to hold an election 
as he ought to have done because the constitution dictated that. And then the Kasai region also erupted into violence and there was a very brutal security crackdown. As a result of that, Shadari is now the subject of European sanctions because, in effect, he's been blamed as the head of the Interior Ministry for these crackdowns, which involve many, many deaths. Apart from that, he is thought to be very loyal to Kabila. That's why Kabila chose him. The assumption is that he will do Kabila's bidding. What's at stake in this election? Why is it so important? Well, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, is a huge nation in the centre of Africa, in the Great Lakes region. It's a nearly European-sized nation covered in rainforest, very poor communications. It can be impossible to get from one part of the country to another. There are very few roads. But what it does have is huge mineral resources. For example, cobalt, which is needed for our mobile phones and which is needed for electric car batteries and really the green revolution that we're all so expectantly awaiting in the West. This really cannot happen without the resources pouring out of Congo. But Congo's always been very poorly run, to put it mildly, it's a state in a kind of near state of collapse that's somehow been held together by Joseph Kabila, sort of patched together. So who runs this country is important for the outside world. And I would argue more importantly, it's very important for 80 million Congolese who, despite sitting on all this huge wealth, have been so poorly governed that they're among the poorest people in Africa with really terrible statistics. If you look at their health statistics, life expectancy statistics, access to education, access to hospitals, um, access to anything, they've really been let down by a leadership that's acted more as a kind of an extractive leadership to extract wealth from them than as a leadership that's really there to serve them. So the hope for anyone is that at the very least, Joseph Kabila, who has been in power for 17 years, has agreed to step down. And although he is certainly trying to control the situation via his proxy, Emmanuel Shadari, maybe it'll get out of hand. Maybe he won't be able to control the system. And maybe this, in this very messy, difficult, complicated way, is one step towards a more representative democracy. Given the way that you've described Congo and the electoral system there, is this really likely to be a free election? Who's monitoring the poll? It's not likely to be a free election at all. It's being monitored by civil society, by the Catholic Church, by the African Union. But that doesn't have a great record in calling out elections and decisively saying that an election has been stolen. The expectation is that as long as the violence is not egregious, as long as the theft of the poll is not obvious, then there'll be enough constituents, even including Western diplomats and Western representatives, who will say, look, the stability of this country is more important than plunging it into a kind of post-electoral crisis. So the expectation is that even if the process is as unfair as many people expect it to be, that somehow enough people will turn a blind eye to it and the country will stumble on. So does it effectively look like the status quo will continue with Mr Kabila remaining in power behind the scenes? Well, I think it's not exactly the status quo, because once you've stepped down, you've stepped down. The president of the country does have a lot of constitutional powers. Shadari is said to be an absolute stalwart of Joseph Kabila. But who knows? We've seen in neighbouring Angola when President Dos Santos gave up power after, I think it was 37 years in office, 
and chose his successor, João Lourenço. Suddenly, João Lourenço has turned on the Dos Santos family, has clamped down on a lot of the structures that had been set up over the previous nearly four decades. And we're seeing real change there. So I think once you relinquish the levers of power, you may try to hold on to them and you may be successful in doing that. But we don't know. Right. What about the people on the street? Do you think they'll accept the result of Mr Kabila's choice wins? I think some will, but there'll be whole areas that won't. Kinshasa is an opposition stronghold. They've never liked Kabila, who kind of holds up in the presidential palace playing video games and on his farm driving around on his motorbike. Very rarely appears in public, even when the country descends into its near perennial crises. He's a kind of an invisible figure in the capital. And there are whole other regions. There's the Kasai region, which is a huge region in the centre of the country, which certainly belongs to the opposition. They're not going to happily accept Kabila's nomination being elected. And then there's the whole east of the country, a thousand miles away from Kinshasa, very hard to reach. The only way you can reach it really is by plane or by boat along the Congo River, maybe by motorbike all the way across the country there. You have mineral resources, you have dozens and dozens of militia groups, rebels. It's a very volatile part of the country and part of the world. And who knows what they're going to make of this election. You've talked a lot about Congo's vast wealth. What do you think businesses will be hoping for from this election? I think businesses really hope for some measure of stability. I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric about paying tax and about being there for the good of the Congolese people and about adding to the Congolese national wealth. But if you look at the history of the Congo, right from the time when it was the property of King Leopold, then a Belgian colony, and then in the post-colonial period, it really is a story of exploitation where these kind of minerals, wealth, rubber before that pours out of this vast country. But almost everybody in the country is left impoverished. Okay, thank you very much. That was all Orion talking to our Africa editor, David Pilling. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com forward slash offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.